0: Hi, this is Steve Nerlich, and this is Steve's PhD, Episode 20. Who's that fellow? Should you ever decide to do a PhD, you'll quickly discover it becomes everyone else's conversation starter. So if there's a moment of uncomfortable silence in the lift, you'll soon be faced with, So how's that PhD going, Steve? Or some other time there might be a call from across the room. Steve! Buddy! How's the PhD? Because everyone in the workplace has some identifying thing. Lucy in accounts owns a horse. Pontius in executive support flies a plane. And Steve the data guy is doing a PhD. Okay, so no one in my workplace actually calls me Buddy. And I am kidding about Pontius being a pilot but you get the idea. So if we met in a lift just now, I'd explain to you that I'm doing a thesis by publication, and the university insisted I do six publications. Hopefully at that point you'll raise your eyebrows, and I'd say, yep, seriously, six. And because I'm a part-time student with a day job, it all takes so long. So here I am now in year eight, With five of those six articles now in print, which is a bit extraordinary given how long it takes to actually get something in print. Being a part-time PhD student is a bit like living near the edge of a black hole. All the other PhD students I knew when I started finished up years ago, and most of the administrative staff I knew when I started have either left, or they look startled when I turn up to the faculty trying to hide a look of Are you still here? As I've acknowledged in recent episodes, I did get a bit bogged down in 2017, which meant I didn't submit in 2017, and nor did I in 2018. It would have been pretty cool and impressive if I had submitted in 2017, the sort of outcome you'd like if you decided to podcast your PhD. And it would have at least been statistically average, and still a bit impressive, if I'd submitted in 2018... But now I am on the wrong side of the normal curve, although someone has to be on the wrong side to make an average average, right? But if all that sounds a bit depressing, well, it isn't so bad, because I now have a totally awesome excuse for the delay. I do get nervous about putting out too much real-world information through this podcast, so I'll just say the university advertised a fellowship, I applied for it, And I got it. So i imagine I'm walking across campus and someone says, Who's that fellow? And someone else would answer, Oh, that's Steve, the 2019 fellow. It's not that huge a deal. You can't walk far across campus without bumping into some fellow or other. And of course, at least 50% of those fellows are women. But anyway, I am ridiculously pleased about my new fellowhood. I'm actually called a visiting fellow, although I actually live in the same town that the university is in. So there is a modest budget that goes with the fellowship, which you can't pocket, it's just there for expenses and stuff. And since I live here, I won't have too many of those. For me, it's not about the money. It's about dining out for years to come on stories about well, back when I was the 2019 b**** fellow, etc. And it's not because my university has finally realised they have a genius polymath on their books. Indeed, my university may never realise that. Most fellowships involve getting a project done. It so happens that there's some funding available to do a particular piece of work, and no one on staff has the time or perhaps the right skill set, to do it. And it's always good to bring in new people anyway, so they advertise a fellowship. And as soon as I saw the ad, I thought, well, I can do that. And so here I am, the 2019 fellow. And of course, now I have this whole new dialogue for those uncomfortable silences in the lifts. How's the PhD going, Steve? Oh, it's fine, thanks, although I've had to put some of my research on the back burner because I'm the 2019 b- fellow now. We usually get to the ground floor before there's time to explain all that, but I like to think that back at the water cooler, someone is saying, Hey, you know that data guy who's been doing a PhD for like 20 years? Turns out he's the 2019 b- fellow. To which the other person would probably reply, Well, okay, it's unlikely anyone is really having those conversations, unless it's Lucy with the horse, or Pontius with his plane, but I am feeling a whole lot better about being on the wrong side of the normal curve when it comes to finishing a PhD. And how is the PhD going? Actually, not that bad. As I say, I do have five of the quota of six articles in print now. So, no thesis examiner can insist I go back and revise Chapter 2 because it's already out there. With this last one, Article 6, I did pursue my plan of submitting it to what's allegedly the best international education journal in the world. And they rejected it. But, as I hoped, they did give me some useful and constructive feedback. The rejection actually my first rejection, has given me pause to consider whether I kind of screwed up last time. The last article I submitted to this journal wasn't rejected out of hand, but went through two rounds of comments and requests for revisions until I got too frustrated with the whole process and withdrew it myself. There was just too much else happening at the time for me to pursue yet more redrafting. Perhaps naively, I was assuming much the same thing would happen again this time, where I'd now been in a better position to persist with however long they wanted to drag it out with comments and revisions. But no, they just rejected it. End of story. But at least this time round, the comments I got from the allegedly best journal in the world really did feel like they came from the best journal in the world. So I am using these genuinely valuable comments to build a new submission for what is allegedly the second-best journal in the world, at least in international education. I think what I learnt from all this is that it's no good writing up this great new conceptual idea if you don't have some kind of gritty evidence base underneath it. Too much of what I did in the rejected submission was literature review rather than new data. Although, to be fair on myself, The earlier article they apparently did like enough to get me to rewrite it twice was almost totally literature review, which is why I was thinking maybe they like literature reviews. But no, apparently they don't, or at least not anymore. So, with Reject stamped on my forehead, but also with a t-shirt that says Why So Mellow, I'm a Fellow, I'm now preparing a new submission to the second best international education journal in the world. I've taken out most of the great conceptual idea. It's still snuck in there in the conclusion to poison minds and pervert consensus, but this time I'm leading with a lot more data. That is generally a winning formula. If you have data that no one's seen before and people start citing your article, well, that's what success looks like to a journal editor. Whether or not your figures are important enough that people will want to cite them It's a whole different matter, but that's the gamble the editor takes. It's not like any of my data is going to be headline news, but people in my tiny corner of the academic universe have been saying for a long time that it would be great if someone could show how students who studied overseas got better employment outcomes afterwards. Well, you can show that, and they do, although it's a pretty marginal effect. Essentially, the data shows that within four months of graduation, 70% of graduates who never studied overseas were in full-time employment, and 74% of graduates who had studied overseas were in full-time employment. So it's a four percentage point impact, which is pretty marginal. But what else should you expect? Graduates are generally very employable people. So no employer is going to say, well, I read all that stuff that Nurlik fellow wrote, and since I couldn't find a graduate who studied overseas, I'm just going to leave the position vacant and try again next year. And in any case, a marginal effect is still a marginal effect. Lots of people in lots of industries spend big bucks on achieving marginal effects. The real issue here is whether the marginal effect is correlation or causation. And this is what I'm now going to show in the revised article. Marginal or not, the effect is there, whether you're a rich kid or a poor kid, whether you studied physics or French literature, and whether you did a bachelor or a PhD. Now that's got to be worth publishing. Hopefully. Steve Nalek, PhD candidate. And the 2019 fellow.